Welcome to another edition of Essential Dynamics. I'm your gorgeous and good-looking host, Reed McCollum, and I'm here with uh, Essential Dynamics guru and uh, man of about town, Mr. Derek Hudson. Derek, how are you? I am doing great, Reed. Good to be with you again. I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm very I glad you. you're here. Yeah, I'll bet you are, because we're here today with a special guest. Uh, Lindsay Osmond has joined us in our virtual studio, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to her. Uh, normally, I would give the intro and trying to describe uh, Ms. Osmond, but I think I would toss that over to Mr. Hudson. Derek, tell us about your friend, Lindsay. So, uh, Lindsay is a human resource professional. She's a partner at Boyden here in Edmonton. Um, Lindsay and I met because we we're both volunteers with the University of Alberta's Venture Mentoring Service. And we were having a conversation and Lindsay said uh, that with some of the things that she's doing in her practice, she felt it would be interesting maybe someday to have a podcast. And I said, I do a podcast. You should come on my podcast. So, uh, you know, season two, we're now having guests on the podcast as, uh, as a matter of course. And I thought it'd be just fantastic to have a conversation with Lindsay about her perspectives. So Lindsay, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here today. This is uh, this is very exciting for us. So, so Lindsay, um, what was in your head when you said, "Hey, maybe I should do a podcast"? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think that today sometimes we're losing the spirit of conversation, right? And I think that. You know, you know, a lot of times we're being Zoomed out or, or WebExed out or whatever the case may be. And I think that sometimes just coming back and having just a spirited conversation about some of those principles and those thoughts that are out there can really drive and, and initiate and ignite people to think differently. So I was thinking, how do you do that nowadays when we can't see each other and we're all stuck in our own little virtual place? And that's why I started to think about a podcast, you know, like ask an expert or what would that look like or a table talk or whatever the case may be. Well, uh, I'm so glad that we ran into each other when we did yeah. be because I had similar thoughts. And as, uh, as you may know, I spent some time last summer trying to figure out how I think about the world and how I approach things. And as I put the pieces for essential dynamics together and they came together in a way that I thought was maybe easy to explain. Um, my first thought was, well, I should start blogging or writing articles or write a paper. And it just seems so flat to do that because I didn't think there's really very much there. I can explain essential dynamics on a page. In fact, in fact, I sent you that page, like there's not that much there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've we've had, you know, 25 or more episodes where we've talked about it and we haven't had a haven't run out of things to say. So there's something about saying something, having someone respond at, with a question or an observation or an application in their life um, that, you know, I learn a lot from even when I say I start the conversation with, you know, I'm thinking about this. I just learn a ton. And so one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is your very accomplished human resource professional. Um, if there's some kind of spectrum, the chartered accountants are on the, are on the opposite end from the human resource professionals. So it's always, it's always good to have some, uh, some balance. So are you up for conversation today? Sure am. Bring it on. 
so as you took a look at um, the, the pieces of essential dynamics, was there anything that really resonated with you? Well, I think, you know, Derek, you and I had this conversation and I think the way the model is set out really makes sense. Like it's, it's simple, it's easy to understand. Um, but there's a couple things that really made me pause in the whole conversation. I think you and I might've had this. I was like, this purpose X and this purpose Y, you know, let's talk a little bit about it. And I was sitting there and I think my comment back to you is today, there's this big movement about purpose X or what is your Y? Right. And so it took me a little bit to to think about how is Derek actually applying this like primary and secondary purpose within an organization and how does that actually transcribe in terms of the deliverables and the results that the organization is trying to achieve through people. And so I think once I spent some time really noodling it and going back into a couple episodes, I was like, yeah, that really sits with me. It's a great theory. It's a great model. Well, and, and that's the thing that I've said a few times that once you hear that, you can't unlearn it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was in a conversation with um, someone in a, in a large not-for-profit organization uh, that does a lot of good in the community. And um, the, the CFO said to me, if there's no margin, there's no mission. Hmm. Interesting. So, so, you know, you can set out to do a lot of good, but if you can't pay your expenses. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the examples of, uh, of purpose X and purpose Y. Um, I'm interested in what, in your, either your business or your clients, where this has become something where you've said, okay, now we understand things a little better because we see that there is a balance between these, you know, conflicting or complementary purposes. You know, I think in business, everybody has to have some form of profitability, right? If, if you can't actually get to the black, then at some point, you know, how do you evaluate your organization and, and how do you keep yourself afloat? How do you actually pay employees? How do you, you know, meet your financial obligations? And so I think that's almost like the basis or, or the foundation, you know, you have to do that before you can start focusing on other things in particular. It almost reminds me of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? That, you know, that's a basic need that you have mm-hmm. to hit ground zero. I think though, you know, organizations are starting to move towards a purposeful based, um, I guess culture is the best way I can describe it. So conversations that I'm having with organizations are really about what I'm going to call the great equalizer. You know, we're reopening up um, the economy. We're starting to look at different ways of doing business and businesses have had to be innovative while still kind of focusing on, you know, that basic need of being profitable to some extent And in that, they're starting to talk about that the rules of engagement and what they are doing versus their competitors has been basically flipped upside down. And so in that, I think a lot of um, CEOs, COOs, board of directors are really sitting there and, and pondering and thinking about what is our purpose, right? Why are we actually here? And what do we need to do to to continue to actually navigate in this new reality by keeping employees, by still being profitable, by still achieving our mission and our vision and executing that through our values. 
there's a there's a lot there. Let me um, let me go to your your professional expertise. When I put the essential dynamics framework together, the last thing that I had to deal with, you know, we we said that on your quest, there's people, path, and purpose, and that purpose generated the idea of purpose X and purpose Y. The path was easy for me because I'm a systems thinker and I thought in terms of drivers and constraints, but on the people side, it took me a little while to see if this, it all made sense. And so what I came up with was that the inherent uh, conflict is between the interest of the individual and the interest of the group. And so when you're talking about a, a reset in organizations, what opportunities to, do companies have to take advantage of, you know, the individuality of people um, and this idea that you want to have a, you know, consistent corporate culture that, that pulls people together. Uh, you know, and we've certainly seen examples where organizations don't come together because everyone's in it for themselves. And we've seen other examples where organizations become too monolithic and people can't express themselves. Um, and either they don't do their best work or they, or they leave. Is there something in um, in your practice and and what and the way you're seeing this opportunity now where you can get the best of those things? It's really, I, you know, I pause as I think a little bit about you know how to unpack that. I think a couple things have happened that are forcing organizations to think differently. And I wish there was a roadmap. We all wish that we had a crystal little ball because it, it, you know we're walking into the unknown. A couple things that I would think about. Um, you know, many of us have had some time to sit and ponder for some time. And as individuals, um, a lot of times when you're talking to people, they, they talk about, hey, I've had time to think, I've had time to process, there's different things that matter to me today, or different things I value. We used to see this big push on compensation, but in our executive search practice, we're, we're finding that compensation may no longer be one of those driving factors. It's getting closer to my family. It's having a purposeful-based life. It's being able to balance um, my co-curricular activities with, with work. It's about flexibility. Um, a lot of those individuals are also to a point where they're feeling a little exhausted and they're burnt out. And so as you sit there and think, that transcends through the whole organization. All of us have been spending some time thinking about what matters. And so the challenge organizations have now is how do I overlay the shifting dynamic that's sitting within my population, my employee population base, and how do I figure out what motivates Derek versus Lindsay versus Reed versus anybody else? How do I figure out how to motivate that individual and how to accommodate that person-specific requirements so that person can play to their back. Lindsay, thank you very much for, for opening up these doors here in our, in our rather closed minds. Mine is, anyway. I would like you to tell me, imagine yourself now, how would you describe yourself now, and what do you want from yourself or expect in five years? Wow, that's a big question. Um, what do I want out of myself? Um, you know what? I think that I want to live a purposeful life. I want to be focused in terms of what matters to me and my values and how to align the, you know, align, I would call my ecosystem so that I can play to my best. 
I think in five years, if I were to look back, what would success look like? I think from a professional perspective, I'd have an ability to work with really cool organizations who really want to create spaces for people to show up as their authentic selves. So the organization can be ignited to hit their fullest potential and have profitability and all these other things that we talk about. Um, I think from a personal perspective, you know, I, I want to be true to, to everything that matters in my universe and my ecosystem and how I can go about leaving a lasting impact on the world through one conversation at a time to elevate marginalized groups to being able to, you know, have accessibilities to opportunities that don't currently exist. We're talking with Lindsay Osmond. This, this, this is Reed McCollum speaking for Derek. Hudson's Essential Dynamics, and I want to know of Lindsay Osmond, uh, what is it you do professionally Hmm. that can help you make these goals occur? In terms of my career, so spent some time in corporate America leading HR functions, um, did a lot of M&A activity along the way, as well as pivoting businesses to achieve different kind of business results. And so in that, you know, there's this concept between organizational effectiveness, which drives some of the things that Derek talks about in terms of drivers and constraints within systems and ecosystems to be able to hit your your purpose, the purpose of an organization. Um, I actually left corporate America in September of last year. So I am a COVID stat. I was a senior executive, single mom, twin boys, uh, two fur babies on top of that. And I got tired and I found out that I wasn't, you know, goes to this question that Derek was asking about, you know, being an individual person within an organizational's ecosystem and my personal values and where I wanted to spend my time in a purposeful life was not actually matching up to the values of the organization. I was on the road half the time. I was not home with my family. And so in that, I had to spend a lot of time finding courage and really really digging deep as to, as a person, as an individual, what do I need in an organization that is going to help me show up at my best so I can play at a different frequency to be able to contribute and feel like I'm valued and that I can provide value to organizations. So in that, um, I left corporate America and I became a partner at Boyden where I'm leading their management leadership consulting practice, where we primarily spend time with organizations working through um, the path, if we're going to use the model, like through the path, through systems and processes while driving cultural transformation within organizations. So, you know, I don't think that they can be, that they can be exclusive. I think that, you know, systems and processes are a way that we execute work, but there's this underlying fiber that we historically call culture that is executed through people. And without those people who are navigating the systems and the processes, and they have these informal ways of doing business, it's all unwritten for the most part. Culture is kind of this thing that you can't see. You just kind of feel it. And for those of us who are thinkers, like we like things versus, you know, spending a lot of time on the emotional side of the fence, it's pretty hard to get our head around it. So I work with these phenomenal organizations who want to do transformation, 
And we do that through either looking at the systems and the processes so we can drive, you know, work through the quest to hit the, to hit the purpose. But we do that through mission, vision, values, creations. We do it through um, executive coaching. We do it through team dynamics. We do it to really enhance or ignite the people aspect of the model through the systems and the processes to achieve, to achieve organizational effectiveness. You got that, Reed? You can, uh, you can now uh, test out of your uh, HR I understood MBA now. all of it. Yeah, that's I'm- awesome. So, Lindsay, let me uh, pick up on one thing you said. You know, your question for yourself was, what do I need from an organization so I can show up at my best? Mm-hmm. So, so there are people like you and um, I think everyone in this conversation where we're introspective. We think about ourselves. We, um, we try to change our environment so that we can do better. You also talked about uh, your interests in inclusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I've worked in, you know, mostly professional or professional services organizations or highly educated people. Um, they tell you what they don't like. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to manage that. Um, if you're talking about people that are on the edges, though, and you're trying to bring them in, those aren't people that are going to step into an organization and then, first of all, tell you, this is what I need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how do organizations, um, both deal with the, um, you know, self-aware, self-motivated, overconfident, perhaps professionals, um, and people that, you know, don't have the kind of background that would, you know, make that natural. And how do you, how do you bring people in? Cause there's all kinds of great people that could contribute to an organization that aren't going to kind of, uh, elbow their way into the room. One of the biggest gifts I think we have um, in business is being a leader. And a leader for me is very different than a manager, you know, and many times in that role, we flip hats. We're either a mentor, we're a coach, we're a director, we're whatever the case may be that we have to be consciously aware of the impact that we're having on our people. And so to your question, how do organizations do that? They do it through having inclusive leadership. And I think in order to be an inclusive leader, you have to do the work and you have to be willing to look deep inside yourself so that you can help create space to understand your employees and be focused. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really, really hard. Some days I do great. Some days I do terrible. Some days we don't show up at all as being leaders within an organization. But until you can ignite your leadership capability and the competency within an organization, it becomes extremely difficult to be able to dig into that discretionary effort of our employees by understanding exactly who they are and what they need in order to be successful in the workplace. You know, there's multiple different leadership theories out there, you know, about internal, external, us versus them, you know, pushing through boundaries. There's a whole bunch of leader theories out there. I think the only way that you can drive an organization is through your people at this point. You know, I think we're in a whole different world than where we historically used to be. And I can't imagine coming out on the other side, how much we're going to transform again. So what I got from that is you have to do the work. And I think what you said is the work is understanding the people and figuring out what, where they're coming from and what they need. Yeah. Is that right? 
That's exactly right. And I think, you know, if we're truly a leader in the organization, I almost say you have like three separate buckets of things that you're accountable for. You're accountable for leading the organization. You're accountable for leading a team, right? And you're accountable for leading yourself. And ensuring that you kind of have all legs of those stools standing up at the appropriate time in the appropriate strength that's required because we all have a journey. You know, some of us do really, really well on some of those competencies while others, you know, there's, there's gaps along the way. And, you know, if I look at my own leadership um, journey, I would say I started off very, very strong at leading an organization, getting things done. I was extremely results focused. Um, second of all, you know, my second kind of biggest strength was actually leading a team and galvanizing them to achieve great potential. But I wasn't aware of and I wasn't as strong in terms of my own self-awareness. And so what I, when I started to do the work, I started to realize that I had impacts on people that weren't necessarily positive, you know, depending if you were in my group or not in my group. And so about five years ago, I started my own kind of really deep thinking and deep journey where I was like, no, you know, I need to understand how I'm showing up and the impact that I can have on an organization to, to help the organization hit prosperity and hit their purpose point. And so once I started to have that self-awareness and that focus, I could almost like infuse energy and effort on whatever competency I needed to kind of pull out of the toolkit to build a different level of competence um, along the way. And I'm going to guess you're going to tell me that that's not something that you can fake or learn from a book or remember the four steps of that has to be something deeper than that. It's a lot of hard work, um, you know, and so one of the things that I do every day is I get to work with leaders who want to actually walk down that journey themselves, who have come to this level of awareness where they're like, what I was doing just isn't working. Like, I need help kind of galvanizing a team or I need help kind of navigating through the infrastructure of an organization. I need help building strategy or I need help kind of building on my own self-awareness and some of the blind spots I have along the way. And so when you get to do that at an individual level or when you get to do that at an executive level and drive a team together because you have different dynamics when you're working as a team versus as you're working as an individual, if we can get people to start having different conversations about how do we create this connectiveness that we've somewhat lost along the way, I think we're unstoppable and it's going to be phenomenal. Hey, Lindsay, just as we're wrapping up here, I just want to ask you a current events question. Um, we, we see that Apple, the computer company, is sent out notice that they're requiring employees to work on set days when they come back to work. And it seems that the Apple employees are rebelling against that. And they're, they like the flexibility they've had over the past year working from home. What are your thoughts on that? I think everybody's thinking about it. This whole kind of re-entry plan and how, how much, you know, there's two schools of thoughts. And from an executive level, what I'm seeing is they're like, I need to have my executive team close to me. And so, and then that kind of transcends through the organization where leaders are like, I need to have my team close to me. And I think that it's this, this natural balance. There is, there is just something innately organic about sitting in a room, going to a water cooler, going to the lunchroom and having a chemical interaction with somebody and stimulating your brain. There's nothing like it. 
what organizations are starting to find is uh, some of that innovation and that natural collaboration went away during COVID. And so um, I was having this very, very interesting debate last spring and um, she wrote an article on LinkedIn. It was called Creating Spaces Between the Spaces. And what do we do now that we don't have the spaces between the spaces, which is inherently the meetings or the norm normal interaction. And so I, I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing this polarization back to this equalization component. So we're seeing employees who are saying, I want 100% flexibility. I want to choose where I want to work. Thought leadership is telling us that our employees are telling us they want a hybrid model. They want to come into the office for some collaboration time, mixed reviews about if that day is mandated or not. Um, and then there are some employees who are just like, get me out of this house. I'm not productive. I've noticed that I'm spending more time doing laundry and making breakfast and doing all these things. I need to get back into an office. From an organizational perspective, I think, you know, it's back to this equalizer. Whoever can figure out how to galvanize their employees the fastest are going to be successful. However, when you look at a, like a workspace, like Apple, any workspace, quite frankly, but those that require a lot of collaboration to be able to pull a service offering, they're saying they want their employees back in the office. And I actually don't blame them. We're having the same conversation as a professional service firm. We're like, we need our employees back in the office because it's not working. So the question is, how do you navigate the employee revolt? Because thought leadership is also talking about the great resignation. That's actually what they're talking about now, that we're going to have all these employees who are leaving to find purposeful-based work and to go to a purposeful-based living environment. Um, you're going to have some organizations who are like, screw you, you have to come into the office on Wednesdays and Wednesdays doesn't work for that employee. So they're like, okay, screw you. I'm going to go work for somebody who will let me come in, you know, won't come in on Wednesdays. And so I think, you know, every conversation with clients right now is about a reentry plan and the employee motivation and how to get that innovation going back in an organization. And it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Lindsay, you talked about the great equalizer. Everyone kind of had to take a time out. Um, now we're, we're very excited about coming back, but it's kind of scary and it's all going to change. Uh, fundamentally, are you optimistic that when we build this machine back again, that it's going to be better than it was before? There's no other option. Of course, it's going to be better. You. No other Good option. for you. Good for you. Of course, it's going to be I better. I love that attitude. And, and that's, that's, why great. We, that's why we do what we do. And, you know, if you, if you think about one of the fundamental premises of essential dynamics, it's, it's that it's the opposition that defines the quest. And um, so I, I love what I've, I've learned today. And, you know, if I take it to, down to one sentence, it's you have to do the work. The work is not easy. You can't, you can't make other people do the work, but we each have to do the work ourselves. And uh, so I'm encouraged and invigorated. So thanks very much, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been a fantastic conversation and uh, all the best to all your clients who are fortunate to be working with you. Thank you, Lindsay Osmond, for joining us today on our podcast of Essential Dynamics. I'm Reed McCollum, your host, and Derek Hudson is our guru who came up with the Central Dynamics and his perspective leads us always. For Bryn Griffiths in the studio, and I'm Reed McCollum, consider your quest. Yeah.